0: I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! <laughs> Brilliant! The cheese! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! Time and tame and tame again. Crank up the music! a This nation is going to dance all night! A comprehensive guide to the comfort of broadcasters' sofas, the reassuring relentlessness of the football content machine, Fabio ce Cegiacatore, incidentalmente, and the slippery acronymic concept of Sogbenag. Rousing pre-match ditties at the Stadio Olimpico. Commentators' presumptuous use of the word "you," and deconstructing the emotional roller coaster of an international break, brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is Football Cliches. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 139 of Football Cliches. I'm Adam Hurry, and alongside me for this one is Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, um, you were honoured to be in the company of Antonio Conte this week. And um, he's obviously studied the rule book for impressing English media at press conferences because uh, he knows how to work it. There is a, uh, a sporting director and, uh, in Italy that is my friend, uh, and the name is Pantaleo Corvino
1: that uh, he says, "You can make mistakes about your wife, but not about the striker and the, and the, and the goalkeepers." <laughs> you understand. <laughs> Yeah, And uh, for me, it's the best the best uh, uh, quote that uh, I understood
0: in the football, no? Charlie, this, this to me is Conte passing both NVQ level one and two of making people laugh at English press conferences by making a joke about his wife and also sort of referring to a, a saying from the continent because we're always, we always just enthralled to that sort of thing. So, so a double whammy from Conte there.
2: We lap that up. It was it was a wonderful moment, and uh, then followed after we could all be as sort of sycophantic as we wanted to towards him. I mean, it is yeah. As much as you know, we we want to be these hard nosed reporters posing the difficult questions. We're also all there being like, oh wow, that was that was really cool and funny. What really
0: looking forward to someone's mobile phone going off in the next Antonio Gonti press conference because that is level three of dealing with an English press conference. Right for Mesut Harlan Dix. Today, we have, well, it's a rare guest role for you, James Richardson. How's it going? I see the tables are turned, Mr. Hurry. A little bit. Mm. You are our guest, but you can be as wry as you oh. like, so uh, wry away.
1: I can be as wry as an Italian state broadcaster,
0: yes. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> good. That's why you're here. Mm. That's why you're here. Um, but you are, of course, um, something of a trailblazer in football broadcasting. Um, Being a
1: board presenter in football. It's almost unheard of. <laughs> no, I mean, it genuinely is, actually. I, I don't... Um, who it's else like prime there? ministers. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Have we had bald prime ministers?
2: Very, very few. Disproportionately I few. I mean, Churchill,
1: was he not bald at the time? I don't think he would count. Would he not? Okay. I <sighs> mean, borderline. Well, there you go. And, it, and, mm. and football football presenting is a similar similar business. I mean, in many ways, parallel... Last times, but
0: anyway, sorry, yes, uh, trailblazing you were saying, Adam.: Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of, in terms of your football broadcasting career, I, I, I realize you must have talked about this chapter hundreds of times before, but there's a certain demographic of football fan that will always want to hear about it because it has cult status, as we all would agree. So I want you just to tell me what was it like presenting the Club World Cup on E4? Ha) <laughs>
1: uh, That was a long game. <laughs> That was a long game. there was a moment in it in which I attempted to make chit chat, much as Antonio Conte was, you know, doing to, to break the ice with um Glenn Johnson. And I mentioned yeah. that uh I just finished reading Andrew Ridgeley's book mm. um at Don Hutchison's behest, by the way. Don Hutchison right. is a, a very, very big fan of Andrew Ridgley's book and indeed music. From the Wham era, anyway. So mm. I mentioned that I, I I just finished this book with a chuckle, and uh, said, you know, Andrew Ritchie from Wham, and Glenn looked at me and said, who? Oof. Yeah, and, and that was, was the end of that. There was it? no coming back from there, mm. really. Mm. Kind now of studio, a studio, though.
0: I thought. Did you like it? Yeah, lovely little sofas. It was it was very sort of culture show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I hear what you're saying, and I I like the deconstructed fours that made up the backdrop. Mm. The sofas weren't very comfortable. I'd rate them a 2 out of 10 for presenting <laughs> on because they, they had the twin thing of being... The backs were very far back for people with short legs, which just immediately put me at a disadvantage. And, yeah. and and secondly, the the seats were quite deep. So when you sat in them, you tended to kind of... Your posture just tended to go, which... yeah, But thank you. Can
2: I say, James, well, I feel really bad. On I was on the Totally on the Monday after the Club World Cup and we spoke about it at length and I didn't ask you how it all was, so... I, oh, I, felt, I mean it was I felt very it bad. It was fine.
1: No no I mean please we are we are busy people. Um and uh, it was it was nice to do it though. I mean it was lovely. It was the first live men's football on, on Channel 4 since that mm. other stuff they used to do. <laughs> so it was very touching to do that. I, I just say the game wasn't great and it did go on a bit and it's a shame that that wasn't better. But un, in all other regards it was great to do it. You know what we're going to talk I think. A little bit about you know loves and that of football, and this kind of touches on one of mine, which is it's just it, you can never really complain about going and, and sitting and watching a, uh, a, a, a a top level football match for for a living, and and um, and possibly explaining who one were
0: uh, in the process. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yes, you're here to break even further new grounds oh, because yeah. you're here for Mesut Harland Dix. You're going to share with us. Three loves or fascinations about football, and three hates or just irritations. Tell us about your first love, please, James.
1: Ooh, uh, oh, of football, you mean? All oh, right, okay, because I don't think she wants to discuss that. <laughs> well, Adam, it's like this. Um, as I was kind of hinting, what I, what I mean, many of us do. Working with football it's it, it's, it's just such a treat. Because it's what a lot of people watch in their spare time anyway, and we'll watch it in our not spare time. Uh, But beyond that, if you're in a entertainment area, if you're in the business of writing interesting things or saying interesting things or generally trying to entertain an audience, if you're doing it with football, essentially, those footballers go and do all the work for you. They do amazing (laughs) things. They spent years honing their craft. Yeah, And then they go out and they perform and they do, at, at times, unbelievable things. And all you have to do is then say they did that and hopefully string a sentence together. And then you, the extraordinary thing is the next week, the same cast of people will go and do something else <laughs> and give you a whole new set of stories. And all you have to do is just go, well, this has happened and that has happened. You can maybe conjecture and stuff, but I, I often think about what it would be like trying to do a similar role in, say, TV drama Mm. Or writing a book or a comic or something like that that has regular installments, and the, the the pressure to come up with fresh twists that wouldn't be kind of rejected out of hand by by um, by the audience. It, it, none of it's there with football. They just do it, and it, it's not even a there's not even a willing suspension of disbelief at seeing the same clubs coming up with new storylines every season, every weekend. Uh, it, it's it genuinely is fresh every time, even though it's the same players and the same clubs. It's just continually uh,
0: a, a marvel. Charlie, I've never really thought about it from, from either perspective. There is a kind of content producer nor a consumer mm. that, that football is, I, mean, I, mean, I guess, sport by extension. And often the gift that keeps on giving. Well, it is a gift, but it's also quite a lazy one because, as you correctly point out, you know, if we were employed somewhere where we'd have to kind of produce all this ourselves, it would be massive ball-like. Um, sport's just easy, isn't it, Charlie?
2: Well, the thing is, as well on that, and I've and I've thought this for a while, and especially since I got into working football. What I find really weird about sometimes when I go from covering football or whatever to reading fiction, I can sometimes feel like, but it, it feels like such an arbitrary decision as to what happens. Whereas what I, you know, and and then there's that question of realism that James mentions, and it is it is great because whatever happens has happened and so there's no like oh but that that's far that's totally mad and unrealistic like it it has happened and i I just find that really um i find that then quite challenging sometimes when you go to fiction and it can be like but that or like when you watch especially like fiction about sport and you're like well is the Mm. team going to win the big competition at the end and it's like well just seems like "Mm, it's weird that it's up to you i love the fact that with football it is it is all real and it's all happening and so there's no kind of arbitrariness
0: to it James, you mentioned that um, you know it, it all cycles back round on a Monday, and we all start again with the, essentially the same storylines, just by you know subtly different people. Does this kind of weekly freshness of the football news cycle surprise you? Because I, my theory would be you get to a certain age—I don't know what that age is—and really you should you should stop caring and and stop being engaged with the football news cycle because it is just the same things happening over and over again, the same controversies rearing their ugly head. How do how does this still still keep sort of propelling itself forward? I don't know. I mean, your age question. I'm kind of like
1: Chuck Yeager pushing back the envelope here, and I've reached the knees <laughs> at fifty five, and I'm still kind of utterly bewildered and delighted every every Monday morning or Sunday evening or, or whatever. I mean, part of that comes from me not understanding football in the first place. It, it's a, I am like uh, Eric Cantona's cows observing the train whizzing past and, and, and never <laughs> and never quite understanding what's going on, but um. But what was your question? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, How does it stay so fresh? How could we possibly keep caring on a weekly basis? Because I think, first of all, as Charlie was saying, it's real. You know, the, the fiction is great, but there's always that that danger with it that if you if you take a twist too far you are going to essentially break that elastic trust between author and an audience but with with football it is real i mean <laughs> apart from one or two seasons in italy but <laughs> in, in in general in general what you're seeing genuine i mean you can't question it and and i guess the fact that you have myriad clubs myriad leagues myriad eventual outcomes mean, means that you are getting just this uh you You mentioned kind of the same people doing just subtly different things, but in actual fact, it's wildly different. Even same clubs will come up with a you know now we're going to have our crisis years and then three weeks later that's over and they're onto their kind of untouchable brilliance phase and then a week later that's gone. and you... so
0: it, it it defies you to get bored with it because it it's just always coming up with something new. Well, I mean, as, as the weekend showed Charlie, you know, things can, it can throw up all sorts of crazy things like Sada Berhino, Cameron, Jerome and the guy other guy whose name I've already forgotten We're scoring in the same weekend. So you know, these things do these do just occur to unsettle the apple cart. But we've danced around this word. We've tiptoed around this word, Charlie, the word narrative mm. which is which is taken on this kind of odd, unpopular status. It's kind of it's become kind of a swear word in football. Um because it, it's the first sign to me that people are getting ground down by the news cycle. Is it a horrendous word? Should we not be using it? No, I like it. I think it serves a useful purpose in football and and in
2: life. I mean, I associate narrative very much with James. I think of him as uh, a big narrative man um and sort of brought it brought it to the masses.
1: Um, no I think really? I, I think it's really? good. yeah, I really think of you with it. I mean, I like narrative a lot, but I do understand that there is a danger to it. I mean, the positive sense is that that this is the storyline behind a game. And and that, for me, is what makes football special. Uh, I'm not one of those people who can watch two unknown unknown teams of 11, unless under special circumstances, and really get invested in it with the sport, per se. but with storylines, with the human drama behind it. Yes. The danger, I think, with narrative, and this is something which I do fall prey to, is that there is a an accepted wisdom about what the state of affairs is about a game or a club and you tend to an, analyze any events through that as opposed to going well actually no what, what could be happening is an entirely different thing
2: but that's i mean yeah there's a lot of confirmation bias with narrative mm. isn't it you know that we like the players scoring against old clubs which mm. you know we of course we remember those because when they happen they're significant but we overlook all the times it doesn't and it, yeah you, you can get overly sucked in by
0: those narratives. So I'd say there were kind of two strand, two negative strands when it comes to narrative, which what really get people's backs up. First of all, is this, this this kind of preconception about certain teams and what they stand for, and and keep propelling that kind mm. of cliche forward. And the other thing is um, sort of certain stories that just won't go away. Just keep getting connected to a club, even if they are true and representative, they, they just won't go away. And I suspect fans of those clubs get quite irritated by it. Our listeners have. Got in touch with their least favourite footballing narratives, James. First of all, Sam, the FPL sports scientist, says there are no easy games in the Premier League. Why does this persist? <laughs> I mean, let's let's not delve into the data of it. I'm not interested in that. But to what end? For whose benefit does this myth persist? What well, the broad? Are you asking me? I, I mean, the broadcasters, yeah. first of all. Right. It's also
1: something to say, you know, beyond <laughs> the fact that it sells the league. It's also something to say.
0: That's a very good way of mm. putting it, yes. Yeah, I mean, but but Charlie, is if it were true, is that representative of a good league? Is this something we should be aspiring yeah, to? I think Does it matter? I, th-
2: I think it's a badge of honour and I think even if it's not necessarily true, those who push it would still say, okay, it might not be totally true, but it's still truer than it is in any other league. You know, that there, there are fewer easy games is probably accurate, but that's less catchy.
1: Right. And perhaps the other thing about it is that, OK, there are obviously some easy games in the Premier League, but you never know when the hard ones are going to come along. Mm. Like even a Watford against a Man United can bite you in the bum. But mm. generally speaking, playing Watford is you know, a bit, a bit of a cushy afternoon. I mean, All by this metric
0: alone... The championship is the best league in the world because, as (laughs) the narrative says, everyone can no anyone can beat anyone. Right, uh, which strikes me as a as a massively stressful division to have to follow. Um, I'm not interested in that at all, um, quite frankly. (laughs) Give me a procession. Too too volatile. Yeah, it's too volatile for me. Um, Sam Richards writes in Charlie and says Liverpool Newcastle always being on TV because of a couple of games in the 90s and them always being referenced is pretty dull now. I, I get what he's saying, but I have to say I've been sucked in by this. I will always watch Liverpool versus Newcastle on TV, and not necessarily just because of those, that, that brace of 4-3s in the 90s. It's because they are inherently a telegenic pair of teams, hmm. I think.
1: I, I'm not going to speak out against things that were good in football in the 90s not being on TV anymore, so <laughs> I'll pass that one over to John.
2: Yeah, that, 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 there's also that uh, thrill that maybe we could get another 4-3. Just maybe. And wouldn't it be annoying to miss it, having sat through <laughs> so, so many not very exciting Newcastle-Liverpool ex- matches?
1: If Newcastle play Arsenal, I, I, I'm sat there expecting 4-4 every time, even though, yeah. you know, Santa's not coming back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, Liverpool and Newcastle could both become incredibly workmanlike teams. Uh, and I would, still, I would still tune in expecting to see some sort of fireworks, especially if it was an evening game. It's, um, that, that's just, yeah, maybe I'm just hooked on the broadcasting narrative. Tell us about your second one. I've been looking forward to this all day long. Well, my second one, Adam, is Fabio Quagliarella. Che, giacatore,
1: incidentalmente. Yeah, no, absolutely, by the way. Why do I love him? Why, wh- wh- my question to you is why don't you love him? Go and check it. Go and check the goals on the YouTube things because that—that that is what it's all about. I mean, I know that he's a player. There's so much more to him. There's that incredible backstory of the stalker and the uh, uh, and every all the horrible stuff that happened to him in, in Napoli. And I'm sure there's been countless other sacrifices, and he's probably loved, and he's probably lost, etc. But what makes him stand out for me is this kind of almost Don Quixote esque dedication to mm. often meaningless but utterly beautiful there's this quest for. This, this kind of Pushkas perfection that, that his career represents. Um, he's, he's extraordinary. And I think I, I have a bit of a soft spot for players who don't, don't necessarily represent one set of colours. Obviously, it's great when you go a bandiera, a like, bandiera rather, like Maldini or Totti, etc. But the, Quagliarella, it's, it's about him. A bit like with Baggio. And yes, I have mentioned them in the same sentence. <laughs>
0: um, I, in our attempts to kind of pigeonhole mm. Quagliarella, Charlie, um, we have so many ways of going at this but it, it does open up a window into how different English and Italian football cultures are in very specific ways. Let me give you an example. Uh, when he equaled Gabriel Batistuta's uh, record of scoring in 11 Serie A games in a row for Sampdoria in January 2019, Genoa, Samp's cross-city rivals, tweeted this, Proud to be from Genoa and to have a strong rival like you in the city. Congratulations. Hand clap emoji, Fabio Quagliarella 27. Um, wouldn't happen. In English football, I feel no. What? For for a record that, whilst impressive, isn't earth shattering in, in a global sense. Yeah. It's not unprecedented.
2: What's Italian for pure class, James? Who that <laughs> was. Uh, I want to know. Yeah, I mean, that's the equivalent of. I mean, who are Leicester's big rivals? Would they have tweeted pure class at Jamie Vardy when he Forest Derby? Yeah, what, would one of those clubs have done that when he broke that record against United with an
0: uproar, absolute uproar.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's a strange one. I mean, because because the rivals burn pretty intensely, don't they? I mean, mm. so so that seems kind of counterintuitive. Almost. But
1: I I think everyone's got a soft spot. A right-thinking people have a soft spot for him because, well, a because the, the the joy he's brought us all, and, and secondly because as I say, he he did go through some rough times, particularly in in Naples. But I mean, if people aren't familiar with with his work, and you've had eighteen seasons now of his goals to. To get uh, to, you know to get across this, uh, it, it is absolutely extraordinary. And a precursory uh, glance at a YouTube comp will will, will, will blow your mind. I, I feel. I mean, I'm not sure which your your, your favorite would be. Um, his, I mean, his push pushcast nominated goal in 2018 mm. against Napoli is something quite extraordinary. Mm. Which is, I mean, we've all seen people kind of backheel a uh, a, a ball into the net for a goal, Alazola or or the um, Crespo. Mancini. Crespo, Mancini, obviously a classic, but much like Mancini, uh, Quagliarella does it. He leaps into the air and back heel volleys it. in. An yeah. extraordinary goal. In that same game, he then attempts to do a thirty-five yard back heel lob. Uh, My goodness, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of the keeper. And uh, the, he said afterwards, it was, it was, the, it was the only thing that made sense in in that I moment. Can't even picture it. I can't yeah. Picture so the ball's it. coming back out, and he's basically he basically just back heels it. And hits the crossbar. I mean, it almost mm. went in. But and he apologises to the keeper afterwards because he, he felt he had been disrespectful. I mean, this is—he's not a guy on a quest to beat anybody else. I don't think. My vision of Fabio—and this might be wrong—but this is the one that I'm in love with—is this this guy who's out there sure to help his team and that, but but it, it, essentially just to achieve the impossible in terms of putting balls in in nets. <laughs> And when you say it, how did he even think of that with the with with the backup? How does where does it does he see somebody else do this? And they go, well, maybe next time.
0: I'll, where do, where do his ideas come from?
2: Scouring YouTube for obscure, yeah, maybe obscure
0: leads. I hope <laughs> it isn't something as mundane as that. So we're we're getting closer to having this kind of three hundred and sixty degree impression of why he is such a lovable footballer. Mm. Lovable is horrible word, is it? But you know.
1: He's simpatico, no? I mean, there's, there's nothing really you could dis, di, dislike, I think, about, right. unless there is, but I, I don't know about it. In my vision, the one that lives
0: in my heart, it's it all smiles. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, you have the impressive backstory, you have the sort of prolonged, gentle goal scoring level in Serie A. He's playing till he's 39. Mm. He was, he was top goals, scorer when he was what, records. 37, 38, yeah. something like that. Absolutely. Mm. Um, less importantly, but still part of the equation, he's inherently a cool looking man. He's he kind of handsome in that gloriously weathered way that only Italian strikers could be. Charlie, I feel like the, the English equivalent of being handsome in that way, in an English sense... Is like Charlie Austin, <laughs> sort of still looks like someone you knew at school who grew hair on the legs before everybody else. That kind of... That's, I feel like that's the English equivalent of being... And a, a,
2: again, quite a stark difference between England and Italy.
0: <laughs> Very much so. But, um, James, you did mention several times his YouTube goals compilations. Uh, many of them exist, but I feel like this was the only one we could go for. This is entitled, and indeed soundtracked, Boom boom, Qualiarella! Boom
2: boom, Qualiarella! <laughs> boom wow. boom, Qualiarella! Boom boom, spare in porta quel pallone! Boom boom, Qualiarella! Boom
0: boom, Qualiarella! Boom boom, ma che colpita!
1: James is crying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That is uh, just beautiful. D- during that chorus alone. Mm. In front of our eyes was a, a bicycle kick from a corner, <laughs> mm. followed by an audacious forty-five yard volley, I'm calling it, despite the ball bouncing. Um I mean that encapsulates everything you were talking about in terms of his variety of goal scoring, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean he I think one of his other kind of specialities and one of his greatest goals was back in his his kind of breakthrough season at SAMP, which would be what was it, oh 06, six, seven, I think. When he when he really first kind of everyone went, Who is this guy called Quagliarella? And he's just been doing it ever since. But it, it was kind of like a side-on scissor kick, which he'll do. <laughs> yeah. There's one of those he does actually, and I can't remember which game, where he's falling over and he kind of scissor kicks it on his way down. And everyone's just so surprised that nobody even moves as the ball uh, you know, streams into the net. Uh, but yes, so uh, yeah, he's uh, infinite variety and that and he's clever. Have you met him? Do you know he, him? No, no, he's, he's sadly, I mean, uh, sadly he's... Um, as I say, he came to four in the noughties after I had done one, so Once four um, was so another no, sense. yeah, exactly yeah we we, we stopped uh, a show that was called Gazette Football iss in 2002, twenty years ago, and um and yeah he, he he's been doing his, his stuff ever, ever since um, and quite
0: a variety of stuff as we've established but um if if we were to try and pigeonhole him footballistically. James, mm. would I be justified in, in saying he is un marcatore di grande gol, ma non un grande marcatore? Well, no, I think he's
1: both because he has been top scorer. Mm. Um, and I think if you score for 11 games in a row, that probably puts you, it gives you a right to be in the second category as well. But yeah, he's been Capo Caninieri, um a, a, a couple of years ago. No? I think he was sort of 37 or something like okay. that. So, so, but At the same time, I do take your point. It doesn't feel like, I mean, with Mancini, for example, who also scored absolutely ridiculous goals, mm. but he also won big things. And I don't get that sense that Quagliarella has done that. I mean, that's not what makes him special. He's about his goals. Mancini had a lot of other elements to his Palmares, to his CV. Quagliarella did win titles at Juve, but then, you know, in that period, who didn't? Um the other goal that I think for many people sums this up is is his goal for Italy at the World Cup uh, twenty ten when mm. uh, Lippi didn't use him, brings him on for the last forty five minutes of that doomed match against Slovakia and he he promptly um he promptly pulls off one of the one of their best World cup goals ever probably that' was magnificent chip lob yeah. is a chip in vain
2: as well and sort of fits in vain
1: in the 91st yeah. minute oh, yes.
0: although it did see anyway yes i mean that's that's water under the bridge oh, but we we yeah. mentioned this in dispatcher charlie about sort of um, cute uh, consolation goals i think fairly recently so that mm. that would make sense um, but i've managed to finally kind of engineer this section in, into mm-hmm. cliche's territory because charlie uh, um, James disputes the idea that uh, Qualiarella could be a scorer of great goals but not a great goalscorer and I accept his logic, absolutely fine but that does lead us to the inevitable question what is the threshold? Mm. And we asked our listeners what the threshold for being uh, what I will now mm. refer to as a sogbnyag, sogbnyag, uh, slightly Scandinavian isn't it? Um, lots of people suggesting midfielders who occasionally or semi-frequently score incredible goals you two guys you Tom Huddleston's you Ruben Nevezes. Nothing for field. me
2: because I think no. why would you comment on their them not being a great goal scorer?
0: Correct, correct. James Baseman 93 writes in says so scorer of great goals has to has some variety to their great goals a la Quagliarella rather than simply one trademark great goal. So, variety is key here, would you say? We can get on to the numbers later, but variety is key.
1: Um, I know, yeah, I guess. I mean. It's somebody you'd want to be talking about for one or two special goals, whether they're a similar ilk, rather than their volume of goals. I mean, obviously, that's inherent in it. But I think the, the second part, the but not a great score of goals, comes down to the number that they miss for me. I mean, that's oh, what would okay. be in my head, that it's, it's their ratio of actually putting the, the chances away. You know, so it's all very well scoring a couple of worldies, but if, you, if you're continually missing out on your bread and butter, Opportunities, then for me, you're going to be not a good Oh, great So there's a level of, of
0: kind of haplessness involved as well that feels unromantic. Yeah, I think
1: it means you're very good at scoring very good goals, mm. but you're not very good at just scoring goals. That's no, true. Interesting. True. But I think that's more about finishing
2: than, which is a slightly, mm-hmm. which obviously is related, but I, I think of it more as those who, I'm trying to think who, who in the, someone like Zola, I don't think of him as missing chances. I just don't think of him as someone particularly who is always
0: getting in okay, the box. they don't choose to get into those. Almost, yeah. Sort of it's like they're kind two of two yards out positions, yeah. do they? Yeah. Um, mm, Sam Biggs yeah. might get us a little bit closer to the definition here. This is very detailed. He said four to seven goals a season. One of them must be against a top six team with at least five games between each goal. <laughs> and Dion Dublin praising him as a clean striker of a ball on match of the day two. I don't think we're going to get more detailed than that, Charlie. Um, has he nailed it? I don't know.
2: I think you can maybe score a few more than that. I think you can be up. If, if you're a kind of forward slash striker, I think you can be pushing towards double figures for league goals and still not be considered a great goal scorer.
0: Okay, okay. I think we're going to get closer here now. Three more for you. Mungo Blurry, James. There's Olivier Giroud. Spectacular goals, but missing something from his game and a lack of consistency. I'm, I'm inclined to agree to an extent, but probably too much for poacher as well. He scores some scruffy goals, deliberately so.
1: Yeah, I, I can't can't disagree with you there. But he has scored some some yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah mm, definitely getting goals. closer
0: to it. Charlie Collins t twenty six says numerically a Sogbanyag cannot be going at a lick any better than one in four. At least 50% of their goals must be either outside of the area or volleyed. And if at all possible, they must be Mark Hughes. Because <laughs> he's been the poster boy for this for, for decades for me. Has he? Yeah. Is that who Mark he's Hughes the is? He's ultimate. He's always been he? the one defined by this. Is he? Again,
2: I think maybe I'm being harsh, but I think you can, or generous, I think you can have a sort of one in three be around that mark mm. and still not be considered a great goal scorer.
1: Okay, when you when Adam, when you do reach a definition on this and the other, very very worthwhile uh, kind of inquiries that you do, do you how do you let the rest of football know? Is it by email or (laughs) do you do you have a WhatsApp group? Email UEFA,
0: get on the line with 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 Arsene. There should be lines of communication. Yeah, I'm saying I'm thinking of setting up something like IFAB. I think it was. I think I called it LoFAP, the language of football adjudication. Panel, panel. Low right. Fat. Yeah. Yes. Um, but a final note on this, and a, a complete coincidence, I swear to you. Nakul Pandey writes in and says it should be under fifteen goals a season for a striker, or under ten for a midfielder. A good concentration of overhead kicks, uh, thunder bastards. Not a fan, but we'll let it slide this time. And geometrically unlikely flicks. Basically, he says, Fabio Quagliarella. <laughs> Boom. Well. Wow. There you go. Well, I mean, it, it,
1: but it, his his, um, his first point about the number of goals, the threshold there, Qualiola, this season isn't going to break that. So this season, I guess you could say that he is that, and maybe these days. But in his career, no question, he has been. Qualiola has basically scored a goal every three games, uh, wherever he's been playing, Italy, you know, I mean. Uh, so hard to score goals over there, of course, James. Mm. Uh, one in
0: three is pretty good in Italy, isn't it? Of
1: course. I mean, uh, you're being sarcastic because these days... Your, your grandmother can score no, goals there. i to see her Specifically
0: yours, Adam. <laughs> Have you not seen her YouTube goals compilation? Amazing. <laughs> Adam's grandmother, boom, boom. <laughs> Adam's grandmother, boom, boom. Indeed. Okay, my final point on Quagliarella then. Charlie, this seems like an almost exclusively Serie A trait... That he he seems to have just played for lots of different, often rival teams, and it just not seeming to matter in the bigger picture. I mean, there have been occasional ructions with with ultras, you know, where he's left one club and and betrayed them to go to another. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem to have matter. Baggio did the same. Lots of other players on a, on a lower key level have done the same. Why does it not matter there in the same way that it would cause a massive melodrama here?
2: I remember finding this fascinating when getting into Italian football when I was young, that this seemed to happen, that players just routinely seemed to be on this carousel jumping from big club to big club. I mean, really interestingly, he even in his youth career, he played for four different teams.
1: Maybe it's just really difficult to get along with.
2: Well, wow. yeah, possibly. Or he's, he's, I don't know if there's something so ephemeral about his talent. But
1: in English football, then, is there are there no players who've you know, turn out. And the, people love them so much that, you know, there's no ill feeling towards them when they rock up in another spot. I mean, it's interesting that you, 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 you lump Quagliadella and I think you said Bajo as, as well, because they're seen as kind of part of the patrimony of, of football almost. And therefore, wherever they're playing, it's for everyone's
0: enjoyment. Mm. So mm. they sort of transcend all the, all the nonsense. Is yeah, obviously. I think But so. here,
2: it's th- things are so tribal that Michael Owen, who has played for a, a bunch of big clubs, is constantly tarred mm. with this, but he's loved nowhere, Brush. Mm, you know, in, you know he's kind danger. of tainted his, his good, sullied his good name by, by moving around. And, and players just don't move between the big clubs, really.
0: No, yeah, no. Yeah. All right, well, that's enough Qualiarella chat for this week. Save some for next week. Um, James, mm. tell us about your third love of football, please. So you asking
1: me about things I love about football, and I, I kind of I was trying not to say just the obvious things, but then managed to say more or less here, <laughs> the obvious things. So the third one which is pretty much near the top of the pile is being in a stadium when everyone's singing and, and I mean the, for me the kind of ultimate uh, I'm getting a bit mushy here would be uh, the crowd at the Stadio Olimpico singing along with Antonella Venditti uh, typically Roma Roma but you know if they were to break out into Grazia Roma that would be oh,
0: We've got both well. for you don't worry let's hear Roma 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 <laughs> Musically, James, as, as a football yes. anthem. I mean, this is pre-match as well as a kind yes. of as a kind of tone and after setter. if they've
1: if they've won, they'll play that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no, I think Grazio Roma after if they've mm. won. Yeah, yeah. Essentially it's the club anthem. Uh Venditti wrote thank you. Uh, Venditti is this figure, I don't know if people aren't familiar with him and why would they be? He's I guess he's sort of vaguely analogous to a kind of if you have Elton John, but Elton John and his kind of I'm still standing kind of uh that phase, he he's like Rome's answer to, to I that. he was quite yeah, Billy singers. Joel-y. Oh, I suppose that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a. I mean, he's a, a man at his piano. <laughs> yeah, so, basically it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no background in pugilism, <laughs> where, as far as I know. So, and venditti, he's he is. I mean, visually and, and musically, very much a relic of a kind of uh, a, 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 a um, easy listening kind of 1970s style. And it, but he is the, the far and away the paramount or always had been, that's got a paramount uh, Roman singer-songwriter. And uh, a lot of his music's about Rome. And it is really, and you know, for Roman people who, not being one myself, but I think, you know, you can feel how much, how proud they are of their city. There is something really special about his music and the the hymns he's written uh, to the city. After they won the Scudetto back in the early 80s, he wrote uh, Grazia Roma and then basically produced a new club anthem, uh, Roma Roma, yeah, you can see the stylistically a bit of a <laughs> going on here. Yes. And uh and if yeah it ain't broke, it's
0: just don't fix it. Yeah. yeah.
1: But Grazia Roma's magnificent de cose. Tell me what it is that makes us feel close even though we are far apart. Tell me what it is that makes us embrace even though we're strangers. <laughs> Yeah. He um, he did that he did that after the uh, after the with uh, under Capello at, at uh, Circus Maximus. Wow. Can you
0: imagine? Wow, like a hundred thousand people there. My goodness. Um, Charlie, from an outsider's perspective, purely musically, as a as a, as a pre-match <laughs> and post-match summary of a mood, does it work? Does it does it rouse you in any way? It's quite a gentle, lilting thing. It's, it's it, not particularly yeah, dramatic. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going
1: to leap straight in here. It's not for Charlie, it's for Roma fans. Doesn't matter, fans.
0: doesn't matter. This is what we're here for.
2: It does have a gentle, it, it reminds me a little, the gentleness a little bit like You'll Never Walk Alone. But obviously, You'll Never Walk Alone, it's interesting, mm. this is purpose-built, where You'll Never Walk Alone, they've just pinched the song from, from a musical. But yeah, it does, I mean... I had a great one and it's been in my head pretty much ever since when Spurs played NS Mura in the Europa Conference League which is a team that's only been around for about a decade but they had this really jazzy Oh Moura Moura is the club for me I've sort of made up those lyrics in my head but that was the tune and that, re- that this was really like high
0: tempo kind of Euro pop but that has a I think yeah. it's too obvious to have the city name or team name at, at the forefront of the song. Have a little bit oh, really? of subtlety about it. Come on. Murrah was
2: very root okay. 1, whereas Roma <laughs> obviously has more of an epic, uh, kind mm. of slow building feel. I guess the ed- city deserves it. I yes, mean. exactly. Yeah, fair
0: enough. Um, it did make me think, James, of... I mean, I didn't want to go too hard... On Roma 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 because if you stack it up against other European club anthems it probably actually starts to look a little bit better there's only one place to begin here this is Cant del Barca which is a gently absurd piece of music I I feel like it's sort of like if North Korea made a cartoon western this is what the soundtrack would be like james because on one hand it has enough kind of inherent pride about it that you can kind of imagine some cruise missiles sort of going past in a parade but at the same time doesn't feel like a song you should play if you say you've just lost 5-0 at home or something like that it really would doesn't have the gravity in any i mean even if you won 5-0 i feel like it doesn't even do a job
1: (laughs) no i mean it's a horrible
0: piece of music i say that with all due due respect but um
1: yeah
2: that's a pre gamer. I mean, I remember the first time I went to, to the new camp or the Spotify camp now or whatever we now call it. But <laughs> and hearing that completely, you know, being unprepared for it, and again that being that being in my head then for the, the rest of my time. That's though. a
0: good point, actually. Now, if, from when they play it every game, now does whoever made it get naught point naught three pence?
1: I hope not, because they can't afford it. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> true. Mm. Yeah, like, see that on the bottom line. Um, but yeah, okay, um, yeah, fine. I mean, it, obviously something very close to your heart. I just, I, I, I just wondered, I'd as th- a, as a footbally piece of music, does does Roma 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 really stand up?
1: Yeah, I think it. I mean, we we come at this possibly beyond the fact of whether you know we have Roma in our hearts or not. We come at this as English people with slightly mu- different musical sensibilities than say uh, the Italians would have. They. Their tastes are, yeah, not, not, not equivalent, I think, to, uh, to, what, to what we might regard as, uh, as stirring in this country. Fair
0: enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences, like official gear, Courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to mikelobultra.com/slash/courtside to learn more. Oh look at that! That is wonderful. Brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is football cliches.
0: Right, you're listening to Mezat Harland Dix with James Richardson. Uh, he's about to tell us about his three hatreds of football. Is that All too right. strong, James? Is that too strong? No, no, utter loathing. Okay. What's your first one, please?
1: Okay, so these are kind of minor, minor irritations, rashes, as it were. Um, but so I think there there are various things of commentary that you know get my back up, as it were. And I would you know, preface this by saying commentary is unbelievably difficult, and I don't know how they do it. And it's one of the very few difficult jobs in TV. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know my. Total respect to them and that but okay however, so the, however <laughs> however could you all please stop calling short players little yeah
0: it <laughs> this has really, never registered with me at all
1: really seriously no. see now i'm not high and i know that there's definitely some height sensitivity going on here yep. but when i see a top level player and the ultimate example is maradona when him when when i see when i hear him being described by some quite possibly corpulent fellow up behind the microphone in the <laughs> stands as the little man does it. it's so patronizing it's astonishing how dare you put yourself at a point in which you could describe him or let's face it any other number of vertically challenged great players as little i mean it's, it's so i mean it's diminutive but i mean it, it, it <laughs> it's unbelievably uh,
0: patronizing and uh, so it begs the immediate question yeah. How do you feel about this, frankly, iconic piece of commentary then? Oh, yeah.
2: Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man comes inside Budger, leaves him for dead. Outside Fennec leads him for dead and puts the ball away. And that is why Maradona's the greatest
1: player in the
0: world. I mean, how do you feel about the simile to start Whoa. off? Like a little eel, is that's that OK? Fine. Can you
1: do that? That That's fine. You can say he's like a little eel. Although, if I saw an eel the size of Maradona, <laughs> little wouldn't be the word I'd... <laughs> Be reaching for, but no, little squat man. I, I, I would imagine that post, <laughs> post game he'll have been looking back and thinking, yeah, that wasn't that. That wasn't his finest moment. I don't think as a commentator.
0: I'd never thought about this before. I thought at, whenever I've heard this commentary, Charlie, I thought little squat man kind sat quite poetically in the clip. If you if you <laughs> then say the words little squat man, it makes you think of sort of uh, sort of the office or something. But it says pug nosed something or other. I mean, it's man. got a
1: nice rhythm to it, little squat man. It, it, it works. The rhythm of the commentary is fine, but I, I think that personal feelings were just slightly colouring, even on a very nuanced subconscious level, uh, the way Maradona was being described. So yeah, I don't like commentators calling players little, and I mean unless genuinely they're freakish, like Sebastian Jovinko, Him you can call. <laughs> that's okay. Like you know,
2: yeah. Well, it's uh, uh, that squat man. It's like the 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 extras, chubby little loser. Yeah, David Bowie yeah, that's what I'm things. thinking of, yeah. It's, yeah, right. I mean, also, but the, the follow up, I guess, to Adam's follow up is where you stand on the word diminutive, which you you mentioned there yourself, mm. which which be, became this sort of um, euphemism. And where, where do you stand on the thorny issue think, of describing players as diminutive?
1: OK, so, now I mean, this is, listener, how long have you got? Uh, <laughs> this is where we get into kind of. Almost fractal levels of, 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 of semantics. Good. I Welcome don't to the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind a diminutive. And I think the reason that I find that's acceptable and little isn't is that little is an absolute state of affairs. Whereas diminutive, for me, sounds almost as though compared to the other footballers on this pitch, he is right. smaller. And like a diminutive fine. of. Yeah, the he is smaller than, word. you know, of, of the players, he is smaller than. Mm. Uh, but to say it's like the difference, uh, although this would be pretty clumsy language, it'd be, it's like the difference between saying the
0: smaller player and the small player. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Your logic is, is flawless. Um, it's not That's not your only minor gripe about football commentary, though.
1: No. Yeah. OK, so to to, to get through this as quickly as possible, when promoting your channel's output, don't begin it with don't forget. I find that really, <laughs> really presumptuous of you. I'm sorry, but don't forget is uh, what you might tell me if I'm due to be, I don't know, getting your milk or paying the gas bill or whatever it is. It's not a duty of mine, and my performing of it is not only dependent on me remembering it. So it's not your boxing product, and I'm watching football, but you're doing some boxing. It's not don't forget we're doing this. I mean, I, I know I'm taking this way too personally. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean... It, it, a, I don't even know about it. It's not like it was in my head and like been ringed <laughs> yeah. on my calendar and I must try not to let it slip from my Stop mind. Stop forgetting. I, mm. Yeah. And, and also, even if I do, I feel it would be nicer, and I understand why they do, then it's fine, but I think it would be nicer if they just said, by the way, if you're enjoying this sport, we have some other sport. And if you have time in your busy lives, which you have, then that's when it's on. Um, yeah. I'm, presumption, that's the, that's the thing that I think um, makes me... A bit wibbly. Uh, here's another one. When, when commentators say, you just feel or <laughs> you sense Chelsea, you sense uh, dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Uh, th- no, no. Uh, so uh, you just feel, listener, don't you, that they shouldn't be <laughs> a spokesman for your own thoughts and emotions. Uh, I, I hate the way they assume that. Think, I am now
0: spokesman for the audience. I love this one. And it does need digging into, Charlie, because, uh, well, let's establish why we think they do it. Um, I would say it's a quite efficient bit of emphasis, if anything. I think it rams home whatever point they're trying to make. They they are gently enforcing it upon us, and we are inclined to agree.
2: The, the you just want, the, the Yeah, you, you, you just yeah. sense. Uh,
0: you just sense. I think as well,
2: because the main commentator likes to defer... To the co I mean, it's normally you know, it's normally I think the main commentator who says that. You you just feel you you just feel something's building, rather than saying like I I think something's building because they're not really allowed to venture an opinion. That's probably what so, it is. So actually. using that second person is a way of kind of you know bringing bringing everyone into it.
0: But these examples, James, are fairly neutral observations. A team is growing into the game, whatever. You feel like the next goal might be crucial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there can be usages of this which, which are slightly disrespectful to – or potentially disrespectful to the, to the viewing public. Take, for example, something like, oh, you know, we often forget that Pakaio Saka is still only 20 years old. We often forget. Mm. So, maybe, well, you know, I don't forget. I, I'd had to look it up, but I didn't forget. <laughs> I won't now.
1: Don't yeah, forget, but don't it's forget a now tremendously now. difficult job they do, commentators. So um, you, know, you
2: can, know. Can I ask James? Because uh, you must have someone said something like "Don't go away" or that kind of thing. Where is is it just the forgetting, or is oh it...
1: going to a break?
2: Yes, exactly. Is it is that acceptable, or is it any instructions? <laughs>
1: Great. I mean, "Don't go away." I think is a request rather than an order. But I mean, you can. <laughs> you're right to you. You're right to bring that up, and that's that's me kind of ignoring all the stupid things I've said on on screen. Uh, or, or indeed podcasts. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's so easy to say things. And indeed, sometimes you'll say anything just to fill up that five seconds in a in a way that is deemed kind of professionally acceptable. So um, and there are phrases which you've grown up listening to mm. that you just can't help we but come out with your, yourself. So, as I say, it's There's a There's no need for thing. a mere
0: culpa here. It, this, it, it's it's built into the podcast. Don't worry. It's, it, it, the assumption is made. There's no judgment. Well, there is an element of judgment, but it doesn't matter. It's absolutely fine. Um, but you opened up a whole kind of worms of here. Um, this is perhaps my favourite clutch of listener contributions we've had for quite a while. We asked them for their subtly annoying turns of commentary phrase. Um, let's go through them. Alexander Pitt begins, Charlie, with... He hates the phrase, come back to bite the hand that used to feed him. Can't stand it, he says. (laughs) Which is a real shame, Charlie, because it's the centrepiece of one of my favourite pieces of commentary. This is Malcolm Macdonald scoring for Arsenal against Newcastle in the early 70s. It's come to Alan Ball. Macdonald getting up! That's the one he wanted!
1: And how well he put it away! From the
0: free kick, Alan Ball with the chip... Malcolm McDonald with the header and McDonald bites the hand that used to feed him.
1: <laughs> I love it.
2: It's a great delivery of a great line. I like it. Yeah, I think that's quite just because of the quirkiness of it and, and the, the way you're adapting. Because also biting the hand that feeds you, that there's a the reason you shouldn't do that there's there's a kind of genuine threat there that that might harm you. But by the hand that used to feed you, well, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it doesn't really, <laughs> it's not going to harm you negatively. Yeah, it
0: doesn't matter now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, a very good dissection of Go the crazy. phrase. Absolutely right. Um, James, how about this one? David Mooney says, commentary turns of phrases I can't stand. How about that when a player scores a decent but not spectacular goal? I yes. mean, it, it's a fairly redundant thing to say. Absolutely. But, yeah. And I, I can I add to that?
1: Uh, one of the one of the laziest bits of commentary around, and that's what it means. <laughs> cut to an emotional player or fan, and that's what it means. And just, just look, look what at means. what it means. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you must hate that if you're being instructed to look at what it means. You must despise <laughs> that. No, I mean uh,
1: commentary is to an extent. I mean, it is a, a form of instruction. I mean, that's why why we have it so it can explain to the the dim people like me at the back of the class exactly what's what's going on. Um, uh, I mean, I I, I said to you previously, uh, had football happened first on TV before radio, would we even have commentary? Yeah, yeah. Because essentially commentary was invented to tell people who couldn't see what was going on what was going on. Yet Now that we can, why do we have somebody who – you don't have that in a film – the director going <laughs> and now the protagonist is walking into the room but danger awaits and somebody's produced a gun someone uh, doesn't have
0: audio description on, on yeah, when they're watching yeah, films right. um, but be- um,
1: but I, I don't mind instruction per se it's it's that it's that pompous you feel or you sense that kind of uh sorry i yeah i'll, I'll leave it alone mm.
0: Charlie, I guess how about that? Which which I can't really make head nor tail of, but yet don't mind its its existence. I guess it's a kind of close, kind of question cousin of pick that one out, isn't it? It's essentially the same sentiment, isn't it? It's just something to say after a goal's gone in. Pick that one out's more
2: specific though, isn't it?
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we've done that. Yeah, we've we, yeah,
2: we, we, we've we've been through that. Yeah, in, how about
0: that's much more? How generalism. about that's a catch-all Just yeah, yeah. Mean
2: anything. Wow, something's happened. It's
1: a bit it surprising. Down. I'm I'm gonna say though that how about that. One merit of it might be just that it's it's a moment of such such remarkableness that it has shocked the commentator out of their role as mm. analyst or describer of the game and just a, a pure football fan just kind of reacting as
0: as you would to the bloke next to you Jeepers. How about yeah, you know. mm. uh, James? How about this one? Scott says uh, when commentators describe a player, usually a young player of being X years of age rather than simply giving their age. It's a small thing, but it f**ks <laughs> me right off, he says. Really? Yeah. It's a very awkward way of phrasing it, I have to say. It, it's not awkward, though, years of age. Yeah. I, I suspect that commentators re- regard
1: it as a very minor, but, a, but nevertheless still a, a verbal flourish. It's, um, it's like kind of doing a little curly-hue on the end of your A's or something like that it's when you write it. It's slight a slight Dickensian vibe about it. Uh, yeah, slightly, they've, you know.
2: It's a Hmm. bit like in this moment in time, which is so many words for saying for now, (laughs) Now, basically. If Gary Neville
0: stopped saying that, Monday Night Football would just be 45 (laughs) minutes, including the game. Yeah, they uh, like cutting out ad breaks. Yeah. Finally, here then. Rob Howard says, Charlie, for some reason, Club X is kicking from left to right. Really irritates me. They are playing, playing from left to right. Kicking makes it sound like they're Sabutio characters, or how my <laughs> mum would describe it. That was a good kick into the goal, wasn't it? Uh, a subtle thing. I have to say, I don't, I, I don't mind it, but now I've now I've been alerted to it. I can't stand it. Kick
1: yeah, no, I'm feeling yeah. a lot better about my choices now because they're, they're, they're genuinely upsetting, whereas these are just huh. cheapers. I
0: mean. <laughs> Charlie, does I mean, it
2: bother you? No, I mean left to right is one of those things I've always. I'm, I'm sure for some people that's helpful. I've always found that, whether it's kicking or playing or whatever, I've always found it one of those quite useless. Like it doesn't really help with my visualizations anyway. um But
1: you- I'm sure for a lot of people, it does. I, you know, when I'd find it really useful is if they said at the start of the second half, by the way, the teams have now reversed and they'll be playing in the opposite direction. Because mm-hmm. I generally have a period, say five minutes into the second half, in which I, if there's any kind of ambivalent bit of play, directionally speaking about it, it's yeah. not clear, which, that I completely befuddle as hang on. Is this, so they're, no, they're, they're defending. Okay.
0: Actually, this is a really good point. Charlie obviously the whole point of radio is that it paints a picture for you and then creates a men- you create your own mental image of what's happening for for better or worse it may be more dramatic than what's actually happening but i have to say listening on the radio do i mentally reverse the teams in the second half <laughs> yeah i've got no idea i, don't, I genuinely yeah. don't
2: know i don't know if you well maybe because at the start of the half would they now would they then remind
0: you i don't think i need it? reminding it's all about whether i would bother to reverse it in my own head I I it's been so long
2: that. since I listened to a game on the radio, but I think I would have an image whether I would I I mean, certainly then time. flip it I don't know
0: I'll have to listen to a game on the radio I, really questioning a lot of my own existence now um, but it's all about your existence, James Richardson. Tell oh. us about your second hatred of football, please
1: uh, i mean yeah I, I i struggle a bit much as when the teams reverse at at, at, at half time i I struggle a bit when we substitute the hashtag narrative mm. uh, of club football with international football. I know a lot of people have this thing, you know, they get, they're getting worked up about whatever it is and all of a sudden that momentum is is robbed and some of it doesn't come back when club football returns. But I just, yeah, I, it's like if you're reading a really good book and you get into the key bit and someone whisks it away and says, why don't you just enjoy this thin pamphlet, <laughs> pamphlet for the next <laughs> Few days. But then the funny thing is, at the end of those few days when the international breaks over, I've become quite engrossed by the pamphlet and they then whip that away and give me this, this book back. This is the extra
0: layer of it. You're absolutely right. But, but Charlie, this is, this is a good thing for us to discuss because, of course, when international breaks pop up, there is this collective groan mm. from, from the football community. And and it, I feel, it feels almost passe to join in with it because you know you know it's it's still football it's still of relative importance but the gear change is horrendous mm. especially if you out of you know deliberate ignorance didn't know it was coming you know as someone who sort of has to check that there are games on at the weekend sometimes it, it can really kick you in the nuts. I mean, especially I remember
2: at least now um, covering a club. There's an element, at least of well, I'll get a weekend off. That you know, there's some. It's, it's a little bit respite. But when I was a fan only, I it would be it would be this thing like, what does one do on an international weekend? I mean, it genuinely would would really kind of. Uh, frazzle you but th- th- this is why as well I've always thought I've had this idea for a while and I'm sure there are lots of reasons why you couldn't do it would be rather than having international breaks in the middle of the season have them all all the qualifiers in one block and people would really get on board with it it wouldn't mm. be long you know you let's say you have eight qualifiers all pretty much in a row by about the third or fourth you you'd be like this is nah, this is quite interesting as Little to whether we make it or would not. Surface, the narrative should emerge it's like in the same way during a major tournament sometimes of something like God, don't our petty little domestic squabbles seem so oh, trivial compared yeah. to England or in the quarterfinals?
0: You know, it's suddenly it just feels a million miles away. And Yeah, you're onto something, definitely. Um no, Charlie's on the right track here, James, because if you set aside for a moment the, the relative qualities of the football from domestic to international level, there's reasons for that. That's that's understandable. There's a lack of personal edge, the the, the kind of club rivalries you don't get. There's less schadenfreude because you don't care about, I don't know, Poland losing. You're not going to laugh at them on, on Twitter. Um, well... But, well, um, but from a kind of consumption perspective, the inter- international break just isn't the kind of same 72-hour comfort blanket that a domestic weekend is. You no. Know, it's warming, almost regardless of what happens. It could be a bunch of nil-nils. It still happened and it was around you.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're as infested in the result, with the exception of your... Nation And even then, even then, in some cases, you're not that invested because they might be romping through qualification. You might be well aware that even though they've romped through qualification, it'll be a very different story when they get to a major tournament. <laughs> so it seems to be the case. But uh, yeah, if you're someone like me who kind of feeds their football drive on on pure narrative, it's difficult to switch to a whole new set of not easily understandable or identifiable storylines. Mm. I mean, I'm just not that bothered about most international football until, as Charlie says, there is a tournament, you put them all together in one big house and you, you start to see you know, where the tensions develop.
0: Uh, Charlie, you presented this outlandish scenario of putting all the international games, meaningless or otherwise, together in, all, in one go and getting it all out of the way. Um, so it could be anywhere between eight or ten games, something like that. But specifically the games themselves James um, yes I put it to you that no yeah. game can peter out more than an England friendly at Wembley I think it's the absolute encyclopedia entry for the entire concept of petering out mm. where does the term peter
1: out come from though Still you must have no. looked at that in a previous episode no um,
0: who I, was I have, Peter and I'm going to do it again right now
1: And why did he leave so very very slowly why did he fade?
2: What once the paper aeroplanes get going and and all of that, and it's uh, it's it's a bleak place to be.
0: Um, by the way, uh, Peter. Yes. That Peter. is the verb Peter to d- decrease or fade gradually before coming to an end. Is oh. of early nineteenth century but unknown origin. Oh, so nobody okay. knows. It may have been a man Peter Probably who faded was. gradually before coming to an end. Mm. <laughs> hope, hope that doesn't happen to Qualiorella.
1: Well, I think every sign of it not maybe fabio you know to, to peter out and to fabio, to fabio on will be a, a phrase in, in in future
0: okay um yeah. on, so on a similar note, let's yes. end with your third and final hatred well, of football please it's
1: it, it's something that i'm a little bit uncomfortable with mm-hmm. rather than being a hatred because I, I I guess it i guess for a lot of people. International football, what what it does bring is a sense of unity, is a sense of you know belonging and a, a common, a shared passion. Mm. And one thing that I struggle or have struggled with in, in the past, 96 was the first time it really hit me, like a wet fish in the face, was the kind of the pro-England jingoism at a major tournament. And that obviously was a home tournament and you had things like Germany not doing well and all sorts of other things and some particularly revolting grey jerseys too. But uh, that just being – and I think part of it was because I was following Italy and so I would be at the Italian training camp and all the newspapers would be out and I'd just look at the front page and think, oh, my goodness, really. You know, I mean, it's not the worst thing the tabloids have done. We need several series for that. But in terms of the way that they whip up a certain kind of feeling about England – and it happens in other countries as well. This is not an English thing. But I think d- jingoistic uh, support of a nation, it's inevitable. I mean, it, it it's almost for, I think, a lot of broadcasters, it's essential. That's exactly what drives audiences. You want to do it. But it, it makes me uncomfortable and i I wish they wouldn't do it also because nowadays if you're watching a tournament on say english tv there's a significant possibility or probability even that you're not an england supporter you come from you have a a kind of family heritage that belongs to somewhere else or you're somebody like me that's a goddamn traitor who Mm. actively roots for another nation at your nation's expense so again i i mean i do get why they do it but personally it makes me a bit uncomfortable when it's presented in very much one-sided fashion i think You know, on a fundamental level, we've all grown up a bit these days. We don't need to have things painted in quite such binary colours in such kind of a a children's storybook fashion. We can be more nuanced about the fact that different people play for different countries.
0: To be clear, so it's more of a tone thing than a kind of blanket preoccupation. You're not worried about the distribution (laughs) of coverage. It's just the tone of it itself.
1: No, no. And I get why the Beeb or ITV will go to the England training camp. At halftime <laughs> yeah. of a match between, say, that, that very Germany much is and the, Holland,
0: the, the example always people people always hold up. So we don't. Need well, to because, do because, it, happens, now. because yes, it happens.
1: Because it happens, and on and on, kind of, mo- and I, that, that's something I'd be really curious to know. Perhaps your, you know, uh, perhaps your 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 audience has a uh, a view on that. But um, I I don't think it's anywhere near as interesting as produ- It's become this kind of default production choice. Mm. And I don't think it's anywhere near as exciting
0: or as, look, uh, as anticipated by the audience as they, they think it is. But reflex. I might be wrong. I think it's just a reflex now. But yeah. Charlie, uh, taking this kind of tone angle, do we feel like Euro 2020 was a bit of a shift in that sense? The coverage of England felt a little bit lighter, a bit more genuine innocent pride than anything more nefarious
2: it was a bit kinder maybe wasn't it it was yeah. the kind of we, we, kind of gentler football you were, yeah we're out of the um i think it was well because with england there is a lot of scar tissue at the kind of over pampered golden generation and then the kind of suppressed uh capello mm. years and that which then gave way to the kind of ennui of hodgson and, uh, and and that period so i think southgate feels like a bit of a renewal for a lot of people i i don't think it was as bad i mean i thought at the olympics some of it got weird and and and, and james with your italian insight you can provide more on this but when um name marcel jacobs won the 100 meters and company says i'm like well He'll be having pasta tonight in celebration or something like that. It was, it was just a probably weird will. That's fight.
0: carb loading. That's perfectly fine. yeah. yeah. Or,
2: or, or something. It was like they'll be dancing on the streets, eating their pasta or something. <laughs> oh, it just God. felt, it just felt a bit odd. Um, <laughs> Can't do both. And that, yeah, that maybe we need to move beyond something.
1: Maybe so. Do you know what? I just what, this is kind of this is off on a bit of a tangent. But I was having a go at commentators before, and something I, I would like to. Um, they they do a tremendous job and one of my loves really should have been i think maybe peter brackley yeah. um, because uh I, if if there's something that i miss about football uh it's hearing brackers commentate i think uh just you know the quality of uh, of the microphone just the, he's a he was a superbly funny man b he had tremendous balance and perspective on games he he, he he had a tremendous gift for reading. You know the the balance, if you like, between the action and the and the narrative. Mm. Um, and uh, he never said you feel, which was really nice. Oh, he just right. had, Okay. He also had, and this I think was something that's really important. He he wasn't in Italy commentating yeah uh as indeed most commentary is not done on on site but he had a tone in his voice that sounded like it was done down a dodgy four-wire from <laughs> from some somewhere in southern italy it sounded like this was coming to you from sight it had that that slight frisson of excitement that note of excitement in it of, of this being a major event from somewhere in europe and uh, and above all his the, you know the way he would deliver a name Ravenelli! Oh. And now, for example, you have Raspadori at, at, at saswala and I, I can't help but whenever he has, just give it a Raspadori,
0: as Peter Brackley would say. And now so, you, yeah. now you, now you kind of um, echo his voice there, Charlie. It's made me think that the Brackley was kind of like Brian Moore, but with the mm. top button of his shirt undone. I was just
2: thinking that there's there's the over there's a kind of overlap there with the yeah. uh, need a goal of
0: Brian Moore <laughs> to
2: that sort of uh, with
0: Peter Brackley.
2: I mean, he. Uh, for a genera- for our generation as well, he commentated on the Pro Evo games as mm-hmm. well. And yeah. even on that, he managed to often kind of have a little bit of that sort of glint in the eye. Yeah, which is not easy to do on a computer no. sim. Good balance. Yeah, Good my balance.
1: first ever live, I mean, I don't like to talk about it, but my first ever live link on TV, I forgot Ray Wilkins' name and, and, and you know, Peter Brackley just basically picked up and said, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm here with all what's his' name and you know on, <laughs> on they roll,
0: but um, yeah, a great, yeah. great man, well, what well, a lo- lovely little upward lift to end oh. on there, but let's let's recap what we have talked about. Football is a free ride doing all the work for us as content producers, Fabio Quagliarella, che Giacatore. antonella Venditti's Roma Roma, Roma. I feel like Horncastle all of a sudden. this is great, it must be great to be him all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start talking like this all the time, I've decided. Um, You despise commentators using the word little to describe players. Well, I'd rather they do. But yeah, did I say despise? Yeah, okay. Yeah, despise is fine. You have mixed feelings about international breaks. You hate them, and then you've learned to love them, and then you hate them when they go. Yeah hope we're not talking about that early relationship again. And uh, you briefly smoothed over your hatred of English jingoism at major tournaments. James right. Richardson, thank you so much for this. It's been a long time coming, but, um, but a worthwhile exercise. Well, thank you so much.
1: Uh, no, it, it, it's a, a fascinating service that you provide uh, for football and our understanding of it. And uh, so I salute you, Adam, and I, I'm, I'm honoured to have been here alongside you and, and Charlie and you, listener, uh, for today's edition of Meza Harland-Dix. What a badge of honour.
0: Thanks, James. Thanks to you, Charlie. Thank you. And we'll see everybody next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: The Athletic.